Well, this morning we continue our series from Matthew chapter 13. There are seven parables in the sermon preached by Jesus. I have had a number of people say to me, I have not had heard the parables interpreted the way that you are interpreting them, so let me give you some principles for the interpretation. First of all, Scripture does not contradict itself. Therefore, we must interpret Scripture in a way that does not contradict. To me, that would mean that we take the interpretation of Jesus and apply it to the other parables. He interpreted the first two, so we take his interpretation and apply it to the other five. Secondly, Scripture should be understood in context. Now, as we are looking at these seven parables, they all are a part of one sermon proclaimed by Jesus. Therefore, there should be a common thread that runs through all of these seven parables. Thirdly, Scripture should be interpreted historically. In other words, how did the audience hear what Jesus was saying? The audience who heard him deliver this message, what did it mean to them? Now, there are seven parables. We have come to the fourth one today. You remember the first one was about a sower who went out to sow, and we said that the seed that was sown was the Word of God. The second parable was concerning the wheat and the tares. And the wheat was sown, or the people of, uh, of God, those who were the people of God were the ones who went out as the wheat. Those who were the followers of Satan, they were the ones who went out as the tares. And then we came to the mustard seed last time. And we said the mustard seed represents this unexpected growth that took place in the church. It was not what God expected to come from the seed that had been planted. Instead of humility, instead of kindness, instead of forgiveness... There has grown arrogance and pride and so forth in the church, and so that was represented by the mustard seed, and today we come to the leaven. There's one verse of Scripture we're looking at, Matthew chapter 13, verse number 33. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal until it was all leavened. Now, in the most common interpretation of that parable, the leaven is the gospel, and the woman is the church, and the meal is the world. So it would be then that the church is taking the gospel and depositing it in the world, and that's exactly what we are called to do. The Lord has called us to do precisely that, that we are to take the gospel into the world. However, I don't believe that interpretation is fits with the parable and the context of Jesus' interpretation. Now, here's a problem that I see, or a basic problem that I see. While leaven totally permeates the loaf of bread... The gospel has not totally permeated the world. As a matter of fact, Jesus prophesied how the world would be when he returned. And so in Matthew chapter 24, verses 38 and 39, Jesus said, For in those days which were before the flood, 
They were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, Jesus is saying that when he returns, the gospel has not eliminated those things that brought about the flood in the first place. And see, we've always had this notion that the church is going to change the world, that it is going to be different. And to an extent it does, but not totally. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of the 20th century, it was believed that, the, that we were on the verge of the golden age. And that's what post-millennialism was all about. It was a belief that as a result of the work of the church, the world was going to get better and better and better. And then as a result of the work of the church, it would usher in the return of Christ. Well, obviously, that is not the way things have turned out. As a matter of fact, we live in a very violent society. Over 3,000 U.S. soldiers have been killed in Iraq. In our prisons, there are incarcerated, convicted felons who have taken the lives of over 100,000 Americans. There are 15,000 Americans who are killed annually as a result of drunk driving. We live in a very violent society. Illicit sex has become so common we no longer blush. As a matter of fact, uh, it can be a career enhancement in Hollywood. The things that we see that no longer bother us. Christians are persecuted at a greater rate today in the 20th century than in all the other centuries combined. There are more Christians being killed today around the world than at any time in history. And the world is more pagan today than it was during the time of the Apostle Paul. So the idea then that the gospel is going to permeate the world and usher in the kingdom of God has not Happen. So let me give you a different interpretation of this parable today, one in which I believe is in keeping with the interpretation that Jesus gave. Now, we begin with the meal. When Jesus mentioned the meal, his disciples or those listening knew immediately what he was speaking of. Because the meal offering was one of the most common offerings to the Jewish people. The first time we read about it is in Genesis chapter 18. And in that passage of Scripture, an angel of God has come to Abraham and announced that he and Sarah are going to have a child who was Isaac. And so the Bible says in Genesis 18 verse 6, So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said quickly, Prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Now, that was the beginning of the meal offering. That is the first time that it, that it was used. Well, what did it mean? Well, early on it came to symbolize the fellowship that God had with his people. For instance, when the angel... Um, came to Gideon and said to Gideon, I want you to be the one to lead the Hebrew people against the Midianites. 
He provided a meal offering. In Judges chapter 6 verse 19, Then Gideon went in and prepared a kid and unleavened bread from an ephah flour, and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. So when Gideon was told by the angel that he was to lead the Hebrew army, the Bible says that he provided to God or he presented to God a meal offering which indicated his fellowship with God. When Hannah went to the temple to pray, she presented a meal offering. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 24, Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour. So the meal offering then, early on, symbolized the fellowship that God had with his people. But then in time, it also came to symbolize the fellowship that we have with each other as followers of God, which is very important to the Lord. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 3, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. Folks, sometimes we don't understand how important it is to God that we, His children, have fellowship with each other. Genuine fellowship. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying, he prayed, Father, that they may be one, even as we are one. It is very important that we fellowship with each other. That is, the people of God, we have this spirit of fellowship among ourselves. Now, for that to happen means that we have to try to understand each other because we are different. I attended Harry Dent's memorial service yesterday, and when Betty was speaking, she said, we are not better than others, we are different. We all are different. And we have to try to understand the other person, their experience, where they are coming from, their background. The closest friends I have are very different from me. So if we're going to have this kind of fellowship, we're going to have to understand that we are different from each other. And then the Bible says that we bear each other's burdens. In Galatians 6, 2, Paul wrote, Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. If we are going to have this kind of fellowship, the fellowship of God, it means then that when one is hurting, there is a sense in which we all hurt. It means when someone is needy, someone else tries to meet that need, that we bear each other's burdens, and that we build each other up, not tear each other down. So when he speaks of meal in this parable, he is speaking of the meal offering that symbolized the fellowship of God with his people and the fellowship of the people with each other. Well, what about the leaven? William Barclay wrote, Almost all scholars would agree that it, speaking of the leaven, speaks of the transforming power of Christ and of his kingdom in the life of the individual and of the world. Now, I have one problem with that. In the Bible, leaven is always seen as being evil. As a matter of fact, when the Passover was established, the Lord said to his people, remove all the leaven from the house. 
Get candles, get lamps, go through the house, look in the cracks, look everywhere, and remove all the leaven. Now, the audience to whom Jesus spoke understood leaven within that context. That's what they understood. There are five references to leaven in the New Testament. And so I want us to look at those in keeping with this parable. First of all, there is the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The Bible says in Luke 12, 1, He began saying to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In other words, the Pharisees were those people who pretended to be something they were not. They pretended to be godly when in fact they were not. And they were very elaborate in their pretension. The Pharisees would orchestrate their times of prayer because there were times when the call to prayer went out. And so they especially liked to be at the busiest intersection in town. And when the call to prayer would go out, they would like to be in the midst of that intersection and they would stop. They would lift their hands and bow their heads and begin to pray so that people would look at them and say, My, how spiritual, how godly those people are. They went through elaborate ceremonial washings so that people would think they were clean. They dressed in religious garb so that people would see them and think of them as religious. Matthew 23, 5 says, But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. So the, the point that I'm making when it says the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, that they did all of this pretending to be something that they were not. That is the leaven of the Pharisees. Then there is the leaven of the Sadducees, which was rationalism. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Davis Dictionary of the Bible says they, speaking of the Sadducees, refused to accept any doctrine which they could not prove by pure reason. So with the Sadducees then, they did not believe in the supernatural because that was not rational. They did not believe in the resurrection, that someone dies and raises from the dead. That's not rational. They did not believe in angels because they did not believe in spiritual beings. And they did not believe in eternity. So when he says, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees, he is talking about rationalism. And then there's the, level, the leaven of the Herodians, which was materialism. Mark chapter 8, verse 15, and he was giving orders to them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, you remember the story of Herod. Herod primarily wanted to protect his position. He was the king. So when the wise men came, they had seen the star in the east where Jesus was going to be born. They said to Herod, we, we are looking for the king that has been born. 
And Herod said to them, well, when you find him, bring word to me so that I can worship him as well. When they did not do that, then Herod sent out the decree that they were to kill all the children two years old and under because he was trying to protect his position. They, were, they believed, the leaven of the Herodians believed, that one's value was determined by one's possessions. We have some of that, do we not? That the value of a person is determined by what they possess. Fourthly, there's the leaven of the Corinthians, which was sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians 5.1, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Now, we don't know if that was his stepmother. We don't know if it were his biological mother. We don't know. But that was the sin. That was the sin. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, clean out the old leaven. He is saying to the church, he is saying to the Corinthians that you are supposed to be pure. You are supposed to be holy. So clean out the leaven. Get rid of the leaven. That is the leaven of the Corinthians. Then, fifthly, there's the leaven of the Galatians, which is legalism. So Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. In other words, it doesn't take much to radically change things. Now, if you have read the book, Paul's letter to the Galatians, you know that they were saved by grace. They came to Jesus by grace. But then as time went on, they fell into the trap that we often fall into, and that was they turned back to the law. And so Paul says to them in Galatians 3.3, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He said, You were saved by the Spirit. Now do you think that you are keeping your salvation by the works of the flesh? So they were turning back to the law. They were turning back to the flesh. And so Paul then is calling them to turn back to grace. So the leaven of the Galatians was legalism. Leaven is never good in Scripture. That's the reason that I would interpret this passage as I do. What about the woman? Who is the woman in the parable? Ray Steadman wrote, When a woman is used symbolically in Scripture, it always means the same thing. Some religious authority, either out of place or doing the wrong thing. Some misuse of a relationship with God. So the woman's not out of place. She's in the kitchen, but she is doing the wrong thing. The woman represents religious leaders who have introduced leaven into God's fellowship. See, that's what she's doing in the parable. She is taking the leaven, putting it into the meal. So the woman then represents religious leaders who have introduced leaven into the fellowship of God. And therefore they have corrupted the fellowship of the church. They have corrupted the fellowship of God. Have you heard people, and I know you have, I have many times, talk about visiting a church. And she said, you know, and they say, well, you know, the, the church was so cold, the church was not friendly and so forth. Why do they say that? Because they feel a lack of fellowship. 
the fellowship that is supposed to be there simply not there. And so they feel that the church is cold, that the church is unfriendly, because the fellowship has been corrupted. Now, within our conservative churches, we have pretty well maintained a commitment to the Word of God, the truths of Scripture. But we believe that through intellectual persuasion, people will be converted. And if we just stick with the Word of God... If we just preach and proclaim and teach the Word of God, then people are going to be saved. But here's the problem. People come to the church and they hear the truths of Scripture, but then they don't see it in the people. That's the problem. When people come to church and they hear the truth of God's Word, but they don't see it lived out, then we have a problem. So when they come and they hear about the love of God, and we talk about love and sing about love and teach about love, and we say to people, God loves you, but then we treat them as if we don't love them. Or we talk about loving each other, but then we are not loving to each other. Instead of love, if there's backbiting and bickering and those kinds of things in the church, so we preach about love, but then they don't see it. We talk about joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And then they come and we look like we haven't smiled in months. And we talk about kindness. And then they see us as being cruel. You know what happens? They conclude that the message is not true. See, that's a problem we have. When people come and hear the message of truth from God's Word, but then they do not see it being lived out, they conclude that the message is not true. So they see instead the leaven of hypocrisy. Someone has introduced in the fellowship of God the, the leaven of formalism. Because the fellowship is corrupted, we substitute formalism for fellowship. And so when we come to church, what do we say? Well, we need to be reverent. Well, what does it mean to be reverent? Well, be quiet. Sit there and be quiet. And that way you're being reverent. And so we substitute being quiet for the fellowship that has been corrupted. Folks, let me tell you something. It was not that way in the New Testament church. You know why it wasn't? Because the people were out in the world during the day. Their lives were threatened. Their lives were hard. And when they came together to worship, they were a noisy bunch because they were glad to see a friendly face. That's the reason it doesn't bother me when you come in and, and, uh, and you're sort of yelling at each other, talking to each other and all that stuff. I figure you've been out in the world all, and you're just glad to see another believer. You're glad to see a friendly face. But see, what happens to us is that our, our fellowship is corrupted and then we substitute formalism. We substitute worship styles. And so this style becomes acceptable and this style is not acceptable and it becomes a substitute for the fellowship that is corrupted. So there's the leaven of formalism that has been planted in the church. There is the leaven of legalism. And we've always been tempted to legalism. In the church, you know, in the in the, uh, in the Old Testament, it spoke about being clean 
And the Pharisees interpreted that as they did a whole lot of things. And they said, well, the way that you're ceremonially clean is that you wash with a half eggshell of water. And you pour it on your fingers and you let it drip off of your elbows and then you're ceremonially clean. We've always been tempted to something like that as far as legalism. The same thing happens in our homes. Oftentimes we become very legalistic in our dealing with children. It's happening, I think, in our country because, you see, I believe that, a, I believe that democracy lives from the inside out. Because of the shared values that we have, we produce the democracy. Well, we've lost that on the inside, and now we're trying to have democracy from the outside in. And so we're putting up all of these laws, passing all of these laws that take our freedom away because we have turned to legalism. Now, the problem with legalism is that it always results in rebellion. That is true in the church, that is true in the home, and that is true in the government. Whenever we turn to legalism, it always results in rebellion. And then there's the leaven of rationalism that has infected the body. And so we no longer believe the truths of God's Word. It's not rational. And you know, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that He's the Son of God, and somehow by dying on the cross, He paid for my sins, that I might be saved. Not rational. And so there are many who reject that. Because someone has sowed the leaven of rationalism. And then the leaven of materialism has been sowed in the church. And so we give value to a church based on its, its budgets and buildings. If it has a big budget, big building, all these things, big stuff. Great church. God's at work there. Well, folks, if that's true, we might as well move down to williams Price Stadium and start worshiping down there. they got more people down there than we do. And they surely take in more money than we do. So, I mean, if that's what it is, then we ought to go down there. But see, that's what happens to us when someone introduces the leaven into the body of Christ. It corrupts things. And then the leaven of immorality. I'm absolutely flabbergasted when I read in the paper and various magazines and so forth that religious bodies, Christian bodies, churches, debate whether or not sexual sin ought to be acceptable. Well, I thought God had already taken care of that. He's already told us what is acceptable. You and I don't need to pass judgment on it. He's already told us what's acceptable. So the point is, of this parable, is that church leaders have corrupted the church by hiding leaven in it. Now, let me conclude. We have to guard against the leaven in the church and in our individual lives. Because there's always someone who is going to hide the leaven in the body. That's the reason, ladies and gentlemen, it is so important that we are absolutely committed to the Word of God. Whether we interpret it the way everybody else interprets it or not, we need to be good, we need to be good students of the Word of God. But we need to be committed to the Word of God. Because it is exactly that, the Word of God. And so Jesus says in verse 33, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal until it was all leavened. Religious leaders taking the leaven and putting in the body of God. 
you and I are to guard against the leaven. Our gracious Father, thank you for your word. Lord, you've given to us a tremendous challenge, and we know that sometimes the leaven of the world is planted within us, and we preach about love and talk about love and those truths of your word, but people don't see it in us. Lord, I pray today that you might examine our hearts and point out to each of us what you see when you look at us. And Lord, I would especially pray for the person who has never come to know Jesus that today they might. I pray, Father, for Christian people who have become comfortable with leaven in their lives, that there would be conviction of that. Lord, I pray that you will simply bless this invitation to your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.